Welcome to Neurodiversity Unleashed. I'm your host, Gail Suter, the CEO of Ignite Changemakers, neurodiversity consulting firm. Some changemakers, such as Martin Luther King Jr. and JFK, use their voices to make us look at our dysfunction. But there are equally powerful changemakers who walk forth peacefully and create change through determination and love. Today, I'm interviewing one of those peaceful changemakers who used love as her shield as she created a new way of being on earth for herself and her family. I'm honored to introduce you to Alfreda Hall. I'm blessed to call her my friend and mentor. Alfreda, I'm grateful you agreed to join us today to tell us about some of the tools you use to create change in your life and the lessons you learned along the way. So welcome. This is Alfreda's first podcast, and you haven't even listened to one before. Nope. <laughs> We're really happy to have you. Where I would love to start is just, could you tell us about sort of the beginning of your life and where it started? I was born in Texas, in the South, was raised on a farm. Did your parents own the farm that they were on? Oh, never. Mm. No. They... They lived on the farm. It, the way it was set up, the owner of the farm had houses that was on, on their land. And the family that lived in those houses, they worked there for them. And they were sharecroppers. They worked the whole year. And the way it was set up, at the end of the years, as they called it, settling, when they would settle, they would come together and see how much money that was made. And if there was anything left, which usually wasn't, they didn't have anything. Besides that, they didn't have stuff during the year, and they had to borrow from them to survive. And if there was ever anything left, they had to pay that, which meant they didn't get any. So your family just kind of suffered, got in debt before the next year. So, of course, I didn't know that when I was little because I was little. I was young, and that wasn't made clear to me, but I saw, and yes, as I say, we was poor as Job's turkey, but I didn't know I was poor because I had my family, I had such a loving mother and father, and that always, they always complimented me and the rest of the kids and used to tell me that I was a beautiful little black girl, and I could do anything I wanted to if I tried. My mom saying was hard work never hurt anybody. So don't be afraid to work hard. My family left the farm before I was old enough to do very much of farm field work, but I was out there because there was no such thing as a babysitter and everybody else had to work. So I got a taste of it that way. And I grew up, started to school. I always have been curious. So back in the day, if your parents would let you go to school with your oldest siblings, the teachers would welcome you. So I got to go into school a little bit earlier and I started to learn things because I was six in my family and I was next to the youngest. So number five, number five, I was six years old when I started school and we didn't have a lot. My brother had shoes that they wore out. Because we had to walk. Believe it or not, we walked five miles to school. One way? One way, yes. 
and those shoes, wow. And I remember my mom sticking cardboard down in the shoes to try to keep his feet dry because it'd be cold in the winter. It wasn't easy. Ten miles a day yes, can you on a that? six-year-old's leg. Yes. And nobody bothered you on your way to school when you were walking ten miles back and forth? No. I don't remember anything bad ever. Nobody bothered us, but some people wasn't really very kind. Like, there was two different families that we had to pass by houses <laughs> that was kind. They would see us walking, and after so long, they started bringing us out water. Oh, that's because nice. Because it was so hot in the summertime, yeah. you know. And the thing that I didn't like about it, it was like they wanted to be nice but not get too close. They would bring a pitcher of water and a glass and sit it out there so we could make sure that they didn't touch you. Of course. We were young, but we knew why. Yes. So, but at least they gave us water. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. As usual, you're looking on the bright side. At least they gave us water. So we knew when we got so far, we soon enough, we we did get some water. water. And back then, that was not refrigerators, they were ice Mm -hmm. boxes where the man could come by and sell ice. Yeah. People could buy it and put it in it. And they would have it ice water. So that's, yeah. well, that was some effort. That was, yeah. So they were being nice. They were yeah. nice. At least yeah. two, two families were. And going to school back then, it, I went to a, a little wooden school that had two rooms in the first six grades. It's in one and then the others within the next room. So first through six and one. Yes. And then six through 12. Right. Yes. About how many kids were in that? school do you think oh gosh i would think maybe oh i maybe 30 i don't know 30 between 30 35 40 something in the whole school or or in that one in the six grades each oh just in my grade yeah oh it was very few it was, it was like maybe six or seven because wow. all of them had to be in that room and when we'd have our class doing their presentation as you i would mm-hmm. say today we had to go up and sit on the front row, and everybody else was working was, in the back. Yeah. So was there only one teacher in there? Yeah. What? Yeah. So, and I was inspired by the teachers when I was young. I just thought it was really great to be a teacher because one thing, they looked like they always had nice clothes to wear, and I thought they made a lot of money. <laughs> I didn't know that, but I did. I thought when I grew up, that's probably what I would be doing mm-hmm. but I chose a different career you mean but sometimes I, I think back and I kind of regret that I didn't go to be an educator so after that as I grew and came into teenager they took me back to the field because there was nothing else they could do there was there was jobs but my parents didn't get those jobs because it was a segregated time and if there was jobs somebody else got them that was not didn't look like me and so we had to do what we could do. And my parents usually worked for them in their homes. So my dad would work preparing stuff for, like, putting up fences and digging holes and putting holes in. And I, I don't remember what he said he made, but it was, I remember it was something like $10 a, a week. 
With six kids. With six kids. And as we grew up, I saw a lot of things that I didn't like. And I would go to work with my mom sometimes as she did domestic work. And I'd see these houses and I'd think, one of these days, I'm going to live in a house like this. They had a radio. And this is just how naive I was. And they turned the radio on and I'd hear the people inside. I was looking to try to see them. Now, this is really something. I never saw anything like that. It was like the world was opening up. Anyway, as I became a teenager and I, I was getting cute, I was thinking about trying to keep my nails pretty and keep my hair done. And but you couldn't do that when you out in the sun all day, all working in the field and sweating and all of this. But I'll say this one thing. I, my mom always took care of us. She worked us hard. But she would take us to the beauty shop on the weekend. Every other week, that's what we did. And I felt, well, she's good to us. Mm-hmm. That was something really special. I, she had four girls, and I guess she wasn't going to deal with all that hair. She would take us to the beauty shop and get our hair done. And did she trade crops for getting your hair done? Or did she use her wages from being a domestic worker? She used her money. Wages. Yeah, yeah. Now, she used to work in their homes, and there's times, instead of her coming home with money, she came home with eggs and butter. And was that a good thing or a bad thing? That was bad. You couldn't buy any, couldn't take that and go out and get anything. How'd they end up getting off the farm? Well, we moved from the farm. My dad found a house in another town, and we moved there. At that time, they were building a veterans hospital in the town that we lived in. And he got a job at that hospital. He and my mom both got jobs at the hospital. And they had to wear white all the time. And my mom ironing with the smoothing iron, the old-fashioned Like heated up on the stove? Yes. Uh-huh. And I had to go to the kitchen every time, get it and bring it back. And she was like perfectionist. She everything had to be just right. I saw her doing so much of that. I thought, oh my God, I don't think I want to do that all my life. So anyway, they got that job and we moved off the farm. I was still in school. I started school in the ninth grade, I guess, where I started a new school. And that was the first time that I'd ridden a bus because the school was out in the country. And that was kind of special to get to go ride bus to school. Get up, get ready for the bus, take a bus to school instead of walk. And so when you got on the bus and you went to the school, was it still segregated? Oh, yes. So you graduated from high school there? No, I didn't graduate from that area. We moved to Kent. We moved some old times. We moved to an area where I graduated from in Greenville, Texas. I had just decided that I was going to stay in school because working in the field, I did not like even though I was young and like I say, they took me back. So I really got a taste of what it was like. And I remember praying, God, if you'd let me live, I'll stay in school so I won't have to do this kind of work. Because that's all I had known my parents to do. Yeah. It's for work. So when we moved to in another town, I graduated. My mom was so proud of me. I could just feel the feeling. My oldest sister, Went till she was in 11th grade. So cool. I know. And she wanted to take typing, and we didn't have parents, they had to pay. Yeah. And she didn't get to do that, and she got discouraged. 
and she dropped out of school. I remember that story. And mm-hmm. I don't remember why the others didn't, but I'm thinking that because she wanted us to all go to school and graduate. And I was the first one to, to graduate from high school with my family. Sadler. Ever. All of, all of six kids. 1956. 52. 52. Right. Wow. Yeah. I made her happy. And so you graduated and what came next? Where we lived was like 50 miles from Dallas. Mm-hmm. There weren't any jobs where we lived. So people would carpool. Adults would. Yeah. Carpool to Dallas and, and they got jobs over there. My dad did construction work and she did domestic work. And so she would leave us early in the morning, give us chores to do, and we knew to have them done when she got home because we did what the country went to. So it was interesting growing up, and it was all around us. People were doing the same thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So we, like I said, we didn't, everybody else was doing about what we were doing, living in houses about what we were living in. So we didn't feel like we was... And did those houses, by the time you were graduating from high school, did they have indoor plumbing? Because I know when you started out, it was outdoor plumbing. Or was it still like an outhouse there? Do you remember? Outside. Outside. Yes. Yes. Did you have electricity? Yes. Yes. And so were all your older siblings still at home when you graduated from high school or some of them had been out? My oldest sister married. My brother, my oldest brother had married. And my younger brother went in service. My brother went to Japan. That must have been an eye-opener. He dropped out of school, and my mom convinced him to go back. And we were both in the same grade because I caught up to him Mm -hmm. because he had dropped out. And he wanted to finish. They gave him a deferment once. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to go in. And the next time that they called, I don't know how that was done. He was in the 11th grade, and he wanted to finish school really bad. But they wouldn't get to further, so he had to go in there. He got married while he was still in the army. And then they had three kids, and he got his GED. So you graduated, and then? And then, after that, I started going with my mom, doing domestic work. And then I lived, like I say, about 50 miles from Dallas, where... Cousin of mine lived in Dallas, and he heard that we lived over there, and he came to see me. And my husband, he had a car. Yeah. And that's how I met my husband. And then when we moved to Dallas, that's when we continued to date each other. And And how old were you when you got married? 19. So you would see these houses, and you would, like, see the teachers, and you you would just say, that's what I want. So... That alone motivated you to go for it because mm-hmm. your parents were like, you can do anything you want. Okay. So you get married. You're 19. Yeah. And I was married six years before I had a child. I guess that was God's plan because it wasn't mine. Because I wanted a baby. I always wanted kids, but I just didn't get pregnant. And so finally, I had a son. Yeah. And that was great. And still living in Dallas? But your son Dallas. was born in Dallas. Right. He was two months old when we moved to Colorado. What possessed you guys to move to Colorado? My parents had already moved out here. It, and when did they get to be in their bonnet to like, get out of Texas yeah. and move to Colorado? My mom was doing domestic work in Dallas. 
mm-hmm. for this wealthy, wealthy oil family. And somebody tried to kidnap one of their girls and they got frightened out of their wits. So they wanted to get out of the big city and go somewhere small. And they moved to Boulder. But they loved my mom. And they asked her if she would come to to Boulder wow. and work, continue to work for her. So that's how they lived. That was. And so did your mom's employers pay for your dad and your mom to move to Boulder? Did they have a car, your mom and dad? No, not that time. Because my dad never drove. Ever? Ever. What? And my mom learned to drive after she moved to Colorado because her employees wanted her to know how to drive three or four girls. Got they wanted her. She was to with them all around. the time. Yeah. She raised them. Right. So she learned how to drive. And she came to Colorado. Okay. So your parents come to Colorado. You're still in Dallas. Any of your other brothers and sisters at the time, were they all still in Texas? Yes. Mm-hmm. All of them were. My oldest sister had a son who had asthma for his dad. They were living in San Antonio. And the doctor told them if they didn't, I guess there was a lot of humidity down there. Yeah. If they didn't get out of here, him out of there, they was going to lose it. Because that's how wow. bad his condition was. So my mom was, she loved the area, loved the climate and everything. Mm-hmm. Thought it was beautiful. And the people were nice and everything. She knew how it was in Texas, you know. Yeah. So she was always encouraging us, why don't you guys think about moving out of there, getting out of there? So one after another, my older sister came first. Her, she With her, her family. Yeah. She had three kids. And the only one brother, my older brother, never moved out of Texas. He stayed there. And all of you moved to Colorado? My and- younger brother that went in service, mm-hmm. when he came out, he and his wife, his wife's family lived in California, but after they knew that their family was in Colorado, they moved here. So, and then, like I say, and then we moved here. So you moved here with your husband? Yeah. And Bernard, how old was he? I came on the train. I was afraid to death because I had never been away from just him. That, no, with this baby. Oh, so he didn't come right with you. He came two weeks later. That would be scary. Oh, it was. But he was a great little guy. I made a pillow for him to lay on it. And I think he thought we was home in the rocking chair. A lady told me when I went in the lounge the next morning to feed him. She says, I saw that little baby. I thought, oh, my God, no sleep tonight. It went well. So you took it to Denver and your parents met you there? Yeah, believe it or not. I left Dallas. It was bright sunshine and wind blowing. It's warm. I stepped off the train in snow. Oh, my God. Was that the first time you had seen snow? No, I'd seen a snow. When it snowed, it was like drizzle. wasn't real snow. What we have here. Yeah. So that was a change. Did you even have a winter coat? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. It got cold down there. Let me tell you, oh, okay. feel, you feel the cold, that cold, worse than you feel this cold. So you got here and you were 25-ish? He was born when I was 26. And then my husband came and he got a job in Denver. He had friends that he knew from when he was younger that he grew up with that lived in Denver. And they got connected and he got a job. Polishing cars in Denver. And he liked it a lot. 
So did it for a time. You guys got an apartment? Yeah, we lived with Inez and Wolf was here already. Really? She's your baby sister. Yeah. And they had a house. And we lived with them for three months, renting the house. Yeah. And then my oldest sister lived in Boulder. She owned her house. And she get remarried and moved to Denver. And we rented her house. My mom was still working for these wealthy people. She was going to church in Denver. Mm-hmm. I, I heard this was how she heard about it. And they wanted to sell this house. My mom was always a kind of a go-getter. Yeah. I mean, really. I don't know how she did this, but she managed to buy this house in Denver that was income property for them. Oh, so she didn't even live in there. No. She rented it. She was a go-getter. Oh, my gosh. Is that still in your family, the Denver house? No, no. They sold it after, oh, God, so many years. Because they bought a house in Boulder. They used to live on Bluff Street. They so rented. you're here. You're renting your older sister's house with your family. Right. Yeah. When I came to Colorado, I always wanted to become a hairdresser. And I didn't get to do it when I was in Texas. And when I came out here, Rachel was working at the university. And she said, you know, I always wanted to do hair also. And I'm going to go to beauty school. She had four kids. And she said, and I heard you talk about wanting to go. Do you want to go? And we could go together. And so I said, I don't have it running. She said, well, she had checked it out and found out that you could pay a portion down mm-hmm. and pay it out. As you go. Yeah. So I said, I don't even have any money to pay down. She said, you don't have to pay $75. I said, I don't have $75. She said, well, I'll give it to you. And when you get out, if you feel like you want to give it back to her, you can. If you don't, you don't have it. So she paid my $75 to start. And I went to British school. And when we got out, I started working at Barbara's as an assembly because I had a job. I still had to do something, you know. And she was working at the university. And then she heard about this little shop with a two-chair shop. And she called me and told me, Frida, do you want to go in with me to get this shop? We won't be buying the building, but we'll be buying the equipment. And they are willing to let us pay down and pay it out. I said, yes. Gosh. What did your husband say? Was he all in? Or- he was not in the picture. But when did you after, get rid of him? After Bernard was about three. So was he already gone by the time you were going to beauty school? Yeah. So you were a single mom with a baby. Yeah. What were you doing for work then? Domestic work. Domestic work. And she paid $75 and you guys. And we went at night. Which was great. So you could still work during the day. But what about Bernard? Who's taking care of Bernard? My family. My Mm -hmm. mom's still in Boulder. And Nines was in Boulder. Mm Mm-hmm. I call her. I think he thinks I'm his. This is other mom. No, he's right in the middle of her kids. She's she's got four, and he and her second child is six months apart. So he loves to tell people about. It. He shared his crib with him half the time. But anyway, we went to beauty school, and you're right. about to buy the shop. Yeah, we got the shop, and we started working there. We had it for three years. And we did well. And we named it Vogue Beauty Salon. Of course, when we went to school, we were trained on both types of hair. You know, of course, most of our people were. were you're, white people. Yeah. So that went well. And then 
after three years, she met this gentleman. He was in the military. I don't even know where she met him. But anyway, they got involved and they dated for a while. And he wanted to marry her. And he was living in California. And she met him when she went on a vacation. She was having a lot of stress in her life. You can imagine, four kids mm -hmm. and, and nobody to help with them. She's working at the university, going to work at 30 in the morning and coming home and working at the shop. And so she was getting sick all the time. The doctor, he had combed over her with a fine tooth comb. He could not find anything physically wrong with her. And she told me that he got his bench to sit on his stool and pulled right up, right in her face and said, if you don't do something to get, relieve some of the stress that you're going to, I'm going to put you in the hospital and those four kids are going to be out there on somebody else. So she decided to go to see her boyfriend in California. That's where he was stationed at the time. She went out there and got engaged. She came back and left me with the beauty shop. I kept it a year by myself. And after that, I said, you know, I had Bernard and he was just starting to school and he was having some problems and I think it was just because he was... Missed his mom. Yeah. And so I said, you know, that's the most important thing in my life. So I got to do something. Yes. I got to do something. I got to take care of a child. And this, this business is not bringing me enough money. I had to be my house rent, pay the rent at the shop. And I wasn't making that much money. Because there were than two of you bringing in right, the rent. Right. So... I had a friend that I outdid her. We were friends before I got to show. Mm -hmm. She was the assistant dean of admission at CU. And she called me one day and said, Frida, do you know anybody want to go to school? We've got the government had given us, you know, a certain amount of money mm -hmm. for people who was eligible mm -hmm. to go. And, you, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, we was a big family. We all my cousins and all of these. And she said, yeah. I said, well, yeah, you know, I know about everybody in Boulder. She said, what, if you know him, tell him to call me. And we need to get some of the kids. So I did. I told everybody I knew. My nieces, nephews, friends, whatever. And they all said, that's it. Why don't I go to school? And she called me for an appointment. And she said, you know of anybody else? I said, yeah, me. She said, get, come up here. Come on up here, girl, because we was really good. Yeah. Friends. And then after I said, I thought, oh, my God, what did I do? How am I going to do that? You know, I didn't know yeah. how they were going to allot me or anything in money or anything. I just knew I wasn't, I had to do something. So I went up and she set me up to take this test and I was scared to death. Yeah, because you hadn't been in school oh, for, for 18 years. Oh, my gosh. I said, my brain was it's retired and they mm -hmm. didn't want to come up. So we got it going and I thought I could do this. I took the test and my scores wasn't where they should have been. She had asked me to go get mine. What did you get from your high school? Oh, your transcript. Yeah. I had done that. And so she says, well, you know what? Your score is low. I know you've been out of school a long time. She's, but I know you, you can do this if you set your mind. So I'm going to, Accept this, so I got to go. And oh my gosh, wait, how did you do it? Was it day? Was it night? Was it like oh god? Listen, it was hard. They had orientation. I was working at Bureau Standards at the time, doing key punch. Key and punch. What is that? Key punch. It's like putting in data 
Oh, oh my God. Way back when. Wow. You mean like the cards, punching the cards. How many hours a day were you doing that? All day. Uh, but when I started school, say in July, they had orientation. And everybody that was going to start school in September was supposed to go to orientation. So you'd get, get your classes and what you need to just get an introduction. And I thought, I can't take off with instructing already. I can't take off. I don't want to quit yet. So I didn't go to orientation. I thought, I, I can do this. Did you call her to say, like, I can't come to do it? So it. I kept working. And then when it come down to go, I went in and said the government, they have to clear you, go through clear to get you mm-hmm. out of there, just like when you bring me in. So when I went to meet with the people, I told them that, you know, what I was going to do. I got nothing but negative. Like, oh, you can't go to college yeah, kind of thing? Yeah. Or- you how you going to do that? You're older. They want young people these days. How are you going to uh, take care of your child? I mean, it was so, it was awful. I'm thinking, you know, I was already kind of worried. Yeah, you have enough going on in the people finally. So why, why could you even think of that? And you're not going to be able to get a job when you get out. And uh, oh God, it was really awful. Why do you think they said that? I don't know. I kind of felt like they didn't want me to advance. Totally. That's what I feel. They wanted to keep you down. Yeah. They probably would have said it to anyone. Actually. I don't know. But it was me they were saying it to. Did it make you mad or just scared? Yeah, it was hurtful. And it angered me there. And I thought, I've believed in God a long time. And when they were saying, you know, go get a job, because everybody wants young folks today. And I got up, I said, well, I've made up my mind. So that's what I'm going to do. Good. Wait, and, and so did that make you feel more determined? Yes, because so I walked out of the room him. and you know what I said to myself? I'm going to prove it. I know the man that made the jobs. He'll help me get a job. Yeah. Good grief. Yeah. So I left the job and I went ahead and started school. Wait, did you have classes? They just and not just classes? And, or? No, I didn't know what I was doing because I didn't go to orientation for them right. to help me. I was nobody with that to tell me what I should or shouldn't take. I got in the worst shape because I picked out a lot of bad stuff. What I mean, do you mean bad stuff? Like just super hard classes? Yeah. Well, I didn't know what I My gosh, you've had calculus. <laughs> I took marketing. I picked political science. I picked four classes. Oh, my gosh. And were you still trying to work? Yeah. Just, I never quit doing hair. I did hair all the time. I, I had two drives and I, I sold one of them and, you know, sit down tight. And I took one home and I set it up in my house. Every weekend I was doing hair and sometimes And not. trying to do class. Yeah, trying to study. Oh, Sitting up at two God. o'clock in the morning trying to write a paper. And I'm so tired. I and said, you had to be like the only single mom in the entire college. Oh, no. I, I don't know that. But I felt very isolated because I was older and all the mm-hmm. kids were younger. I wasn't in the drug scene. That was back in the 70s and that was rampant. Boy, I wasn't invited to the parties. Probably just as well. Right. And so there I was. And I had Bernard to take care of. That's the reason I ended up sitting at this table late at night because I had to take care of him get make sure he had his stuff done. How and old was he by that time? He think? was just starting up elementary, I believe. And that be sometimes he was going to go on a field trip and he would forget to tell me that he needed something for lunch. And I'd have to, oh my God, find some way to get out of there to get 
go get him some sandwich stuff. Oh, let me tell you, it wasn't easy. And what kept him going? I don't know if it was too stubborn to quit. I was going to get it done. I got in bad shape emotionally when I was a junior. This friend that got me in, I'd call her and I'd talk to her. Then I'd call Inez and I'd talk to her and I'd cry on the phone. And one time Inez said, oh, Frida, you need to go talk to somebody. And they had the health center up there. But you know me, I'm, I'm going to do this. Wait, so you didn't go? I didn't go. And I just kept Too going until I felt like I, I was just losing it. And I finally went, I said, well, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to go. Maybe, maybe it'll do something because I was, felt like I was losing it. I, I need to free. You got to do something because you're, you're making me cry all the time. So I, I went up. I went in the building, went downstairs. It was downstairs. I went all the way. Of course, the mental down, health has yeah, to be yeah. in the basement. I had to wait till the end of the building, went out and left. You didn't even go? Didn't even go. Of course, did, nothing got better. So I decided mm-hmm. to go again. And I finally went and talked to somebody. Yeah. And they made me look at things differently. I'm thinking, I don't see why this is too much for me. That's what I thought. You were not only doing everything, you were giving yourself a hard time about not doing it well enough. I said, you know, I'm a woman. I'm a strong woman. We don't need to be strong. I said, if anybody else can do it, why can't I do it? You know, that's the way I felt. Yeah, but nobody well, else was, was doing what you were doing. But I didn't see that until yeah. they pointed that out. Yeah. They, and they told me, look at what you're doing. And this man made me mad one day. He said, you know what? You got a perfectionist idea of yourself. That's what made me mad. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to school. My house wasn't clean as I wanted it to be. And if I was a perfectionist, how come my house wasn't all left clean? You're defending it. I have a right to be a perfectionist. I am not perfect. And then he said, wait a minute, I want to ask you a question. He said, when, when you clean your house, do you just clean your house on the weekend and, you know, get it straightened up and this is good? Or do you have to wax your floors and mop and wax your floors? And that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I was living in a little you apartment. You knew you. And he said, what about your son? When you have him clean his room, do you, do you allow him to be himself and clean his room? And, if it's not perfect, and you go find it's not perfect, you get on him about that. Do you do that? Of course I did. I didn't want to lie. So I, he's that's that's what I'm saying. That's that's excellent. Well, I live. You are worked up about it. Now you've got a good counselor though, because just, when you're really mad about it, then you're like, oh, they got something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He said you were bad that next time. I said yes, exactly what you were. But I wanted you to come to the reality of what you were doing. So did you give it up? Did you give perfectionism up? Not totally, but I did change. Give me what, what he's, and when you change your beds, do you have to have sheets just, and when I changed my bed that weekend, and I, I didn't have the sheet, the mess, it dawned on me, oh my God, you're doing it. Well, that's good. And I recognized that, oh God, this is what he's saying. Talking about. First, you have to acknowledge it, and then you start seeing. Oh, he did help me. He did help me. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I had the same perfectionism that ended up bringing me down, too. It came from my dad. Like, if you're going to do a job, you got to do it right. It was never good enough. And I drove myself to a dark place doing that, too. Because I had a kid. I did have a great husband. But, yeah. And then you're trying to do school perfect. And nothing's perfect. So then you're just harping on yourself. So you got rid of the inner roommate. That's what I call it. Oh, Mercy. So I was going across the 
campus one day. And sunny, no snow, no nothing. I fell, twisted my ankle under me some kind of way. I couldn't even get up. It hurt so bad. And it was oh, two guys gosh. walking up ahead of me. And they heard me because I grunted. And they came back and said, oh, you need some help. I let them help again. But I knew that was a bad hurt. And they said, you want us to get you over to the help center? We walk in that way. I said, no, my car is parked back here. I just came out of the engineering building mm -hmm. and my car was parked back there. So I wanted to get back to my car. So I went on out to Boulder Medical Center and I got wet in. And they looked at my ankle and it was a bad spray. And he told me, I'm just going to tell you, you would have done better if you'd broke broken it. Because mm -hmm. we would do so. But now, the fact it is, you're just going to have to let it heal. So he said, I tell you, you can expect to be off at least three weeks a month. For me to be out of school for three weeks in the month at ketchup. So I withdrew one semester. Because mm. I no way I could mm -hmm. do that. Yeah. Because I was going upstairs sometimes three flights to classes. Oh, oh no, no way. way. No way. When, when I was at home one day, I thought, you know, this other person that came up in here. In your inner roommate. Why, yeah. It's a hard time. Why don't you just quit? And get your job. And, and you and Bernard won't be broke all the time. So he came in for playing outside. And then I said, no, you know, Mama was just thinking, I think maybe I'll just drop out of school because I'm tired of this struggle and we're not ever having what we need. And I could get a job and maybe we, we can just do better. He said, Mom, why did you start if you're not going to finish? Wow. How old was he? Oh, he was probably well, I thought if he can think like that. <laughs> so I went on and I went back. What I did in every other semester that I went, the classes I wanted was screwed up. My money wasn't up there financially. I had to wait and get books late and then I was behind every time. And I, I prayed and I prayed, maybe I'll go back. And then I said, I asked God, if this is the right decision, show me by letting things be in order when I go back. When I got to the, every class that I picked was open, my money was sellable. Everything was right. He probably was up there saying, why didn't you ask me sooner? What? That's what? Oh, my God. I finally... Made it to mm. it was it was rough. It was it was real. And then when did you buy your first house? Oh, I think it was eight. Oh, that's hard to remember. I, nah, that's the only one I bought. Yeah. When I used to live down in North Boulder, close to the hospital. I lived in that house for four years. And the man owned it, uh, the family that owned it lived in Grand Junction. Mm -hmm. And they would come away, but they were educators. Yeah. And they would come over there so often that have to fix this up and that. This is what he told me. I wanted to live in a house. I was living in an apartment when I graduated. And I could not find a house. Mm -hmm. I was looking in an apartment. And so I was coming home from work. I was working social service. And I saw this house for rent. You never saw a house for rent sign. Mm -hmm. I said, house for rent. I saw this car in the driveway. And I know somebody must be there. And I went out in the driveway. He was back in the back fixing a screen door. And I said, this house for rent? And he said, yeah. And I said, I really want to buy a house. I said, you think you'll ever sell it? 
He said, well, I don't know. I have a manager that live in town that takes care of it. I'll talk to him. I said, well, he said, it's for rent now. You'll have to talk because she just took care of it. Yeah. You'll have to talk. And he gave her a name and number. And he said, but if I ever decide to sell it, I'll let you know. And so I rented the house and we stayed there four years. And then one day I was at work at social service. She called me and said, Alfreda, they want to sell. Are you interested? I said, yes. Didn't have a quarter. I got the phone. I called my mom. I said, mom, guess what? And I told her that. She said, oh, really? Well, we have to think here now. And so she, she told me they were coming back the next month. She said, I'll tell them that, that you're interested. So well, they came back and we talked about it. Well, they wanted $15,000 down. I knew it was $15,000. And so he says, well, what do you think? I said, well, I'll keep trying to borrow money. I had decent credit, but nobody there would lend me no money. So it turned out that she, she got back in touch with me. And so, okay, they're coming back and they want to talk to you and see if you're still interested. I, I just didn't know what to do. I went home one day and I was looking so down. Bernard opened the door and he says, Mama, what's wrong? I said, I tried. I just heard from the last person that I tried to buy it for. And they told me no. So that's what's wrong. He said, well, Mama, don't be so sad. Because as much as you pray, God don't do something. A spiritual man. Oh, my God. So we went ahead. I was renting then. And when you're renting, they take care of everything. Yeah. If something broke down, I didn't even call her. Because I know she was going to have to find any money yet. And I did. So... Finally, I told her, I, I told her, no, I had found it left. And I, don't, I hate to tell you that I just don't know what. Like, but I have yeah. one question. I said, do you think they'd rent it to me for a year and let me have more time to try to get some money? She said, well, I'll ask them to see what they say. So she asked them, and they said yes. And my mom was always afraid that you can't be buying this, you can't be buying it. Both of me kids coming up with this money, you know. She was trying to keep me focused. I, I don't know how, I, I can't tell you and nobody else how I saved up $5,000. And she co-signed for me to borrow mm-hmm. $10,000 yeah. to see you credit. And that's where the $15,000 came from. Uh-huh. They carried the other part because it was it's like a hundred and some thousand that they wanted, but they were going yeah. to, so they let me pay it out about a month. Amazing. And I was telling people they were one time we had a meeting. We were supposed to write down something that we wanted to do, a dream. And I told them I wanted to buy a house. And they said, oh, you can't buy no house in both. You're a single person. And I know what you make because we was all yeah. good. Yeah. that. that. I know what you make because, you know, and you single. How you think you're going to, I want to buy a house. Again, you just yeah. believe. I, I want to buy a house. I'm tired of living in apartments. And I remember I told somebody, I want to put a picture up on the wall and not have to think about it. I'm going to have to take it down pretty soon to move. He said, well, you'll never do that here. You, you can get that out of your mind. My mom went with me to co-sign for me. And uh, we discovered back down 30th and she said, we should be shouting all over the street. I said, I'm too tired. When I went to work after I signed papers, I went in to work. Miss Mary, I have something to tell you. She's what? I said, I bought the house. Are you crazy? She didn't believe it. She said, I didn't believe I said, I didn't do what God did. Out of all those stories, every single time when people said you couldn't, you still believe. Some people call that manifesting. I think that's what all good change makers do. 
see through what's in front of their face and believe that it can be better. That have to have you back so you can hear part two. Thank you for joining us today on Neurodiversity Unleashed, inspiring changemakers and educators. We hope you found this episode inspiring. If you're a family raising neurodivergent changemakers, a neurodistinct individual, or an educator, Ignite Changemakers is here to support you. Visit our website at www.ignitechangemakers.com to explore our services and free resources. Take what you've learned here and make a positive impact. Share your newfound knowledge and ignite change in your community. Together, we can truly unleash the power of Stay subscribed and keep the conversation going. Give us a thumbs up if you like this podcast. And thank you for being a part of this unifying journey. We'll be back soon with more incredible stories and insights. Remember, you have the power to make a difference. Let's unlock the potential of neurodiversity.